Blessed assurance. When, uh, when we were fortunate enough to go to Hawaii and spend some time with our son and grandchildren and, gra- and daughter-in-law, I was with my son, and he was going to get me a pass for the car, and we were walking over there, and we just happened uh, to intersect one of his sergeants. And uh, the sergeant saw him, of course, and they made eye contact with each other, and the sergeant saluted Daniel. Daniel saluted him, and he says, good morning, sir. Daniel said, how are you today? And he said, highly motivated, sir. Highly motivated, sir. And I believe Daniel said, hoorah. Highly motivated. I'm going to challenge you for 90 days on a highly motivated effort. Highly motivated. There are three main challenges in this effort, in this highly motivated time. The first one is at Bible study at 930 you will be on time. At worship at 1045, you will be on time. There are several reasons for this. One is respecting the Lord. Number two, respecting the leaders. You know, we need to put our best efforts forward and we need to show people that attend Bible study with us and people that go to church with us that it's really important to us. I mean, Jesus deserves that from us. We are going to be on time. So highly motivated. How are you today? Highly motivated. I'm going to be on time. Very good. Thank you. Very highly motivated. I'm going to be on time at 930, and I'm going to be in the worship service at 1045. One of the reasons also to be on time for our worship service at 1045 is so that you don't miss the baptisms. I, I watched last week and, and, and today as well. Not as many today, but I noticed last week, uh, you didn't know that we had baptism. We had baptism last week. We had baptism this morning if you weren't here today. And it's important to your spiritual life that you witness baptisms. Did you know that? It's important to the people who are baptized that you are here to encourage them. So, highly motivated, be on time. Number two, highly motivated, man, be part of a disciple group, discipleship group. Be part of a life-changing group. If you're not part of a life-changing group, you need to hound Kenny and Annie Bob to find you a spot. Either you're going to start one or they're going to lead you to start one or they're going to help you start one or they're going to put you in a group. And that in the next 90-day period of time, that's going to work itself out. And you're going to be focused on it, and you're going to get it done because your life needs to change. My life needs to change. You need to encourage the other brothers and sisters in the Lord. So if you're not in one of those life-changing discipleship groups, in the next 90 days, you're going to be in one. And our goal is that every single person in our congregation is in one. Lofty goal for sure, but you know what? We are what? Highly motivated. motivated. The third one is this. Beyond ourselves, beyond any of our previous experiences, love just absolutely overflows. We love more than we've ever loved before. We learn to fight that suppression of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives and begins to build in us to love other people. Man, we're going to 
be motivated for the next 90 days. We're going to give this consideration. I'm going to let the love flow. And I'm going to love beyond myself. I'm going to love more. I'm going to somehow or another, I'm going to face my fears. I'm going to face my comfort zones. I'm going to face all those reasons that we have in the past that have kept us from loving beyond ourselves. Now, I'm not saying we're not a loving congregation because we are a loving congregation. Susan reminded me last night, we took uh, the farmers some food last night. We were driving back here. She says, you know, I'm so glad we finally made the list. I said, what do you mean? She said, every time we have a food thing going on, I go get online trying to get in line and it's it's already done. And she was glad that we got to do food last night and because it happened so fast. This is a loving congregation by comparison, I believe, with all my heart. But I don't believe we've even scratched the surface. And so what would it be like if, if we were so highly motivated that we loved, not with our own love, but with that agape love of Jesus, and we loved everybody with all of our surrender and all of our yielding to the Holy Spirit? What a difference we would make in the lives of other people. Pray for us as we go to Cambodia. We're going to do our very best to love those folks with all of Jesus' heart. So, highly motivated. Now, a shofar is a Jewish horn. It's a ram's horn. And we are going to raise up some shofar blowers. Okay? Now... We're going to start this morning so you learn what it sounds like, and I'm quite certain that we are going to improve in our shofar blowing players. But today, I want you to hear a shofar. So guys, go to your spots. It's going to blow the shofar today. Guys and gals, please. Andy, Bob, you need to be back in the back there. We had that worked out. You didn't follow instructions. Highly motivated means you follow instructions. Yes, sir, I follow instructions. All right. So Ryan is very embarrassed about doing this, but he he plays the piccolo or something, so he's ready to go. All right. On time, in a discipleship group, and loving beyond ourselves. Ready? One, two, three. Blow. Blow it, Ryan. Blow it. Don't laugh. Blow it. Very good. All right. Thank you all very much. All right. So they're going to be practicing. And Ryan, you did very well. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Andy Bob. Appreciate you blowing. So when you hear that horn next Sunday at night, at, during Bible study, when Bible study is going to be over, uh, to start it out, to start a work service, it's a reminder, it's a call, it's a salute in saying, I'm highly motivated, Lord. I'm highly motivated. Hoorah? Hoorah. Very good. All right. Blessed assurance. First John chapter one. Blessed assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of submission, purchase of God. Born in his spirit, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. We are born, we are washed, we are secure in him. First John, and it's very interesting that John would be the one that would would be used for the Holy Spirit to bring about 
All these wonderful evidences that we are indeed God's children, and today we'll talk about the first one found in chapter 1. Now, before we get there, look over in Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, when you see the word behold is what it's saying to you, pay attention to this. This is some important information. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. This is important information for us. First of all, verse 1 tells us that there's no place God can't reach. There's no one God can't reach. There's no distance God can't reach into. There's no one so beyond hope that God cannot reach into that person's life and makes all the difference. But according to the scriptures, God's choice is iniquities, sins, have made a separation between us and God. Sin separates us from God. That's important for us to understand. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, the scripture here teaches us in verse 8 that if we say we have no sin, if we say that sin does not exist, if we say that we don't have a problem with sin, other people have a problem with sin, but we don't. If we live our life such a way that maybe even with our knowledge, we are aware that there is sin, and we may even be aware that we have sin, but if we do not detest that sin, if we do not resist that sin, if there's not within us a real drive, a, a, a conviction of that sin, then the Bible tells us that we are not in the Son. We are not of the truth, and we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, since it says to us here that if we have an unhealthy understanding, an unhealthy knowledge, an unhealthy relationship with sin in the believer's life, then we are not of the truth. So you can turn that around and you can look at it this way. If you have a healthy perspective about sin, a healthy relationship with sin, in other words, you know what sin is. You grieve when you sin. You live to resist sin. You don't want sin to be a part of your life. 
You, you, when you do sin, you are convicted. You struggle not to sin. And there's that constant awareness that sin separates us from God, as Isaiah 59 says, and although we have a relationship with God, the fellowship is broken because of our sin. Now, we either have a relationship with God or we don't. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. But the next verse says, if you, if you do not believe, you are condemned already. And so you are outside of a relationship with God. And so if you are outside of a relationship with God, then of course there's no assurance. There's no assurance of salvation. And that is because you are separated from God. But if you have one point of your life, received Christ, been born again, you became a child of God, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is a guarantee of your salvation, if you then, as time goes, if you backslide into it, if you find yourself straying, if you're not living for the Lord, and, and you begin to be casual with sin, then you need to think about that. Was it a religious experience or did it really happen? Because you see, understanding that we have sinned and that sin separates us from God and that the truth is not in us is a crucial, crucial thing for us to understand. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we look at that and ask ourselves the question, is the truth in us? And we know about whether or not the truth is in us. And if we understand the truth is in us, then we have the assurance of our salvation. And that is in regarded to, regarding to the relationship that we have with sin, rather not it's healthy or not. If we say we have no sin, well, that's a common thing today. There is no sin. Sin does not exist. The way people get the way they are, the evil that people practice, the things that people do, the, the sin that, that, that um, we would understand, that people operate from, the motivation from, they say, that's, there's no such thing as sin, that's the, that they're just a product of their environment. And what we need to do is we need to educate them. We need to, we need to put new clothes on them. We need to show them. We need to teach them. We need to guide them. And we need to work all, as hard as we can to change their environment because if we change their environment, then they'll make better decisions and they will live a life that is more pleasing to human, to human causes. But if sin exists, education Changing the environment, teaching people how to live is not going to change the heart. And so a piece of evidence, an understanding that we need to consider is this. Do we have a healthy relationship with sin or an unhealthy relationship with sin? Are we struggling not to sin? Struggling to not sin is a good thing. And what happens is someone is overwhelmed with a sin. Sin has control of them. They are a slave to that sin. 
They place their faith in Christ. And one of the ways you know it was a genuine conversion experience is before Christ, no struggle. No struggle not to sin. After Christ, the struggle not to sin begins. They are aware of their sin. They know they have sinned. And, and they begin to do all they can to resist, to say no to, to find a new way of living their life apart from that sin that separates from God. Now, as you measure it, if you could measure life change, man, in some cases, it takes a long, long time to begin to see the life change. But the matter of salvation is this, life change begins the moment of conversion. And so the struggle happens. And so if there's a struggle in you to, to resist sin, when you're convicted of your sin, as far as you know, you begin to repent of that sin. You want to repent. You're in the battle. You're in the struggle. You're doing all you can to please God. That's an overwhelming sign of salvation. But if you, if, if you sin and it's no big deal to you, there's some serious considerations that you need to be making about whether or not you are of the Lord or not, whether or not the truth is in you. If you say... You have no sin, you deceive yourselves. Sin is spelled out very clearly in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments teaches us, number one, you shall have no other gods. So if you have other gods, you have sinned. If you have, if, if you have an idol in your life, if you're controlled by greed, if you're controlled by, for the love of money, that is sin. The second commandment is no carved images. Man is not to create for himself gods that he makes out of his own hands. And so if you have made anything that takes the place of God in your life, that is sin. We are not to take the Lord's name in vain. So empty worship, empty worship, and empty confession is taking the Lord's name in vain. When we use the Lord's name in cuss words, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. When we are casual with using the name of the Lord, when something happens and we go, oh, Jesus, be careful. That's not respect. That's not honoring him. We do not take the Lord's name in vain. The fourth commandment is, we keep the Sabbath day holy. The Sabbath day for us is the resurrection day, and that's Sunday. Sunday needs to be a day for the Lord. For the Lord. We need to keep that day holy. It, it, we do not need neglect assembling with other believers and worshiping God. And the Sabbath needs to be holy. If the Sabbath is for us, that is sin. We need to, number five, we need to honor our mother and father. If we disrespect our mother and father, that is sin. The Bible tells us in commandment number six, we shall not murder. And so Jesus went a little further with that in the Beatitudes, and he explains to us that it's more than just murder if we, 
If we hate anyone else, if we plot evil against someone else, if we call someone else Raka a fool, they're absolutely worthless. That is, in the Lord's eyes, the same thing as murder. That is sin. And so there's no room for that. And so when that happens, if there's a conviction and, and there's, there's resisting and, and there's a desire not to displease the Lord and to sin in that way, adultery, lust, fornication, homosexuality, every sexual sin can be under thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not commit sexual sins. You know, so sexual relations before marriage is sin. Lust is sin. Being carried away with a desire for pornography and sensual sins is sin. And so if you say you have no sin, and it, it, in, what, in, in essence what you're saying, it's okay if I commit these sins and you have no concern about it, no, no grief over that, no remorse over that, if you're not convicted of that sin, and if you habitually practice those sins, then you're not one of God's children. Because if you're one of God's children, there will be a struggle not to. Not to. There'll be a real fight going on. Commandment number eight, no stealing, no bribery, no extortion, no cheating. We understand it's a sin to cheat your employers. It's a, it's a, it's a sin when we, cheat, when we steal time from them, when we steal products from them, when we steal time. God's people do not steal. Number nine, bearing false witness, lying, gossiping, slander. And coveting, number 10, looking at what your neighbor has and wanting it. Having a loathsomeness towards your neighbor because they've got stuff that you want is coveting. We covet when we envy others. We covet when we lust for things. And so when you take these 10 commandments and you look at just these 10 commandments and, and, and you observe them all, in my personal opinion, no one who's being honest with themselves, no one who's being truthful with themselves will look at the Ten Commandments and say, I have not broken any of these commandments. And so I look at these and go, oh yeah, I've broken all of these commandments. Broken all of these commandments. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. I need to be regenerated. I need to be changed. I need to live differently. I'm convicted of my sin. So one of the ways that I know that I'm a child of God and I have blessed assurance is that I am aware that I have sinned and I sense the conviction of it. I sense the grief of it. I just don't want to. I do because I'm not perfect, but I want to be on a trajectory of holy direction. And, and if there's even possible, I want to sin less next year than I've sinned this year. I want to grow. I want to become more like Jesus. And that's a sign that you've been born again because that means the truth is in me.
And so if you can share with that testimony, if you can identify with that, then you can celebrate your salvation. You can have joy in your salvation. You can absolutely just, just come unglued with it. Get carried away with your worship. Get carried away with your service because you can say, the truth is in me because, man, I absolutely hate it when I sin. I hate it when I, when I sin against God. I hate it when I do the things that I know God doesn't want me to do. And I find myself doing it. And you can come to the Lord and you can get forgiveness once you're convicted of that sin. And so, grieving your sin is a sign that you're one of God's children. Having conviction about a sin that you committed is a sign that you're one of God's children. And struggling not to sin is a wonderful sign, a piece of evidence. In a courtroom, it is beyond reasonable doubt. You are one of God's children because you struggle not to sin. So it's not about whether or not you're victorious in the struggle each and every single day. But the victory is in the fact that you do struggle because before Jesus Christ, you did not struggle not to sin. Before Jesus Christ, I did not struggle not to sin. Matter of fact, the idea of sin, the idea of disappointing God, the idea of of sin in my life was not even, even in the hint of possibility for me because I didn't understand such things. But believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, opened up this understanding for me. And I bet it opened that understanding for you. And so if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say that Not one of these commandments have we broken. We are deceiving ourselves. We are lying to ourselves, and we're lying to God. And the truth is not in us. Now, the hope for us. Look in verse 9. The truth is, no one can ever outsend the work of Christ on the cross. No one, no one, no one can bring their bag of sin to Jesus and their bag of sin weighs more than Jesus is able to pick up and throw away. Look, it says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, confession means to agree with God about these sins. And so when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, when there's that uneasiness in you, you just know in your knower that you have sinned. There's that awareness that you have sinned. You know you've sinned. You know that thought was wrong. You know those words are wrong. You know your attitude towards that person is wrong. You know that 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 uh, you have committed a sin, that you have lied, you have cheated, you have, you have lusted, you, have, uh, you are coveting, there is envy, there is greed. 
You know that, that golf is more important than God. You know that football is more important to God. You know that in your life you have built for yourself a graven image. And you've made it. And you've made your own God, whatever that may be. If you will hear God speak to you and you will surrender to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life and if you will confess your sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so he summarizes in verse 10 if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us and so a healthy relationship with God means salvation. It means that you can be victorious, that you are secure in the truth. You are of the Lord. You are one of the Lord's children. You have God in your life. But if there is an unhealthy relationship with sin, it doesn't exist, you haven't committed, you're not sorry for it, it's no big deal to you, it doesn't matter, you can live any way you want to, not born again. The Holy Spirit is not in you. The truth is not in you. So, something to think about. Can you rejoice with the idea of blessed assurance? Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. So in review, evidence of salvation is we struggle not to sin. Evidence of salvation is when we sin, we grieve over that. We sure don't want to do it. And we pray and we confess and we admit and we repent to the best of our ability. And we're not going to. And it may be that we struggle less next time. We struggle less the next time. But we struggle less not to sin. Sign of being born again. Help us, Lord, to understand your word. Help us, Lord, to grow in understanding what it means to be one of your children. Thank you, Lord, for the scripture here that says that, that if we have a healthy understanding, perspective, relationship with sin, we are one of your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Time for our offering.